Sunday. I don't know if you have something to write on. Um, you, as, we, as we go through this morning, I just would like for all of us in the room to be, to be asking God, what is, what is your dream for my life for the next 90 days? We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of that starting next Sunday and kind of breaking that out into manageable chunks. But what is what asking God, asking God while we're in the presence of God, dwelling together in the presence of God as a family, asking God to speak to us, to speak to our hearts and say, God, what is your dream for my life for the next 90 days? 90 days from next Sunday is the first Sunday of December, December 7th. And so that will be the extent of our 90-day journey. But that's not that far away. It feels like forever from now because we're just starting school, we're just starting fall, it's still summer. But it's not that far. And just asking God, what is your dream for my life for the next 90 days? Maybe asking God the bigger question, what is your dream for my life? What is, what is the big picture vision of my life that you want me to have? And, and asking God to just kind of you know, bring you into that, step you into that in a, in a faith-filled way. Some of that, I believe, we, we don't really start to grasp and understand what God's dream for our life is until we start to step into it a step at a time and a step at a time. And the more we step into his dream, the more the dream then starts to make sense and become something we can actually see. But when we're stepping, when we're on the outside of the dream, oftentimes it just feels, it feels ethereal and overwhelming. How do we take a step into that when we have no idea what it is? So asking God when we're gathered together, what is, what is your dream for my life? For instance, I know God's dream for my life as the pastor of this church is to lead people to look less like Adam and more like Christ. And so that's the, my, whole, my whole purpose that God has given me for being here is to lead the people of 6-8 to look less like Adam and more like Christ. And you probably have heard that a time or two by now, and we're working hard to go on this journey from what we were to what God wants us to become. And that is everything God has given to me. So that is God's dream for my life. Now, how does that play out over the next 90 days? What does God want me to do for that? And asking God that question, what do you want me to focus on for the next 90 days. So if you have something to write with, and even if it's just a card from the seat in front of you, just write the question at the top of, at the, top of the card. What is God, God, what is your dream for my life for the next 90 days? And just trusting him to start to reveal to you what it is, because he does have a plan for your life. He does have a dream for your life. He has a bigger picture for your life than we're probably experiencing. I know this from personal experience. March 14th, 2018, I was at a Clark County Pastors Roundtable. Every other month, a, a lot of pastors from Clark County gather together at a different church around tables for a meal, and there will be often a discussion that we talk about, a topic that we talk about around these tables for, the, for an hour and a half at lunch. And as we sit around the tables, you know, there, there'll be kind of a, a prompt question, a discussion question. And, and on this particular day, this was the second or third time I had been to one of these, second or third meeting that, since they had started them, or I think it started in January. So it was our second meeting as a group of pastors. 
And as, as we were talking, I don't even remember the, necessarily the topic of it, but I remember one of the pastors spoke up and he quoted from Philippians chapter three. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. And so somehow you know, it goes on like that. But, but he went on to share how, how he had wanted to know the power of the resurrection, but had bypassed knowing Christ. It wasn't the point of the gathering. That wasn't why we were gathered there for that day. He wasn't the main speaker. He was just another pastor in town at a church like ours. But God spoke to me through him. And oftentimes that's how God gets our attention, through someone else. I had been doing the same thing. I was a Christian, pastor. I lived a pretty good Christian life. I mean, I was obviously, you know, in the Word regularly because I had to study for sermons. But I didn't really know Christ. I wasn't knowing Him personally, regularly. I knew who He was. I knew what He did. I knew a lot of what the Bible teaches about Jesus, but I hadn't been knowing him personally. I hadn't been in personal, regular, meaningful, consistent, and intentional relational time with Jesus. This doesn't mean that I never had personal experiences with Jesus. It doesn't mean that I never had personal time with Jesus. I did. I had a lot of experiences with God over the years, but it wasn't regular and it wasn't intentional and it definitely wasn't consistent. My walk with Christ basically consisted of listening to a lot of pastors' podcasts. A lot of sermon podcasts. I read a lot of books and I would experience God through the books. I would watch YouTube preachers, especially guys like Stephen Furtick and Francis Chan and Matt Chandler, Timothy Keller are some of my favorites. I love listening to those guys teach. And I would often experience God as I wrote and prepared sermons every week. But I had never developed a consistent habit of knowing Christ all day, every day, in and through my life. And I was a pastor. I really, honestly, only ever experienced him vicariously through others' experiences with God. God would talk to me through the others, which is oftentimes how he works, right? He speaks through others to us to get our attention. And God would do that to me. He would speak through others to me to get my attention. But all the time, you know, I was kind of you know, missing out on this one key component. And that was that, that God didn't just want to talk to me through people. He wanted to talk to me directly. 
God wanted to speak directly to my heart, to my mind, speak directly into my life. And as good as the books were, and as good as the podcasts are, and as good as the YouTube preachers are, and, and as inspiring as it can be to listen to these guys and read these guys and, and the journey that they have had with God over the years, it is nothing compared to what God wants to do with me directly. And for most of my life, I never developed the habit of walking humbly with God all day, every day. I believe in you. I don't know if you know that. As we go through this morning... I was praying about it this morning before, before I came out of my office and just praying, praying for the, the hope that I feel for you and for our church to be evident to you this morning. I know in my tone and my approach and the way I deliver content, it can often feel, um, what's the word? Somebody will shout it out. I'm not going to get offended. Um, yeah, you should say it because you know what I'm thinking about because it uh, starts with an E. Jim, Exhorta, exhortation. Feels like exhortation, which is kind of a little bit more of a firm approach to getting us to move forward where Christ wants us. And that's, I, I'm working on trying to uh, to to lighten up my approach a little bit. That's why we've been working on humor over the last few weeks and that kind of thing to just, you know, let you know I actually do enjoy life. I'm a fun person. You know, I'm not just this uh, angry, mean guy all the time. So as you go through this morning, I just hope you can hear all of this, this entire message through the lens of the hope that God has for our church and for your lives as followers of Jesus Christ. This is, this is in no way meant to tear anyone down, but is, is instead meant to paint a picture of what is possible and potential in Christ. So I believe in Christ, and I believe in the power of Christ in you, and I believe in you, and I believe in the potential that exists in you because you are in Christ. I have often said that there is ridiculous potential in this room, and I firmly believe that. That is not just something I say to make you feel good. That is an actual truth that I believe about our church, that in this room is a ridiculous amount of kingdom potential. Your capacity as a follower of Jesus Christ is great, and the kingdom potential of this church is enormous. I believe in you, and I believe in all of us together, and we can be an unstoppable force of the resurrection power of God through Jesus Christ that is ready to unleash the, the kingdom of God and the community around us. I believe that with all my heart. That is, those are not just empty words that I say, but that is, I believe, an actual reality that God has in mind for us as his church here at 6-8. But I also know from my own personal journey and my own personal experience that we tend to sell ourselves short. I know that we, that we let the baggage of our past build a perimeter fence that locks us into the limitations that keep us from experiencing God the way we were designed to. 
We, we have let our past and the way we, we maybe grew up like I did. I grew up in a, in a very different kind of church environment than maybe most of you have experienced. And I let that kind of create a perimeter on the kind of God that I'm willing to experience. Or, conversely, the kind of God I don't want to experience. And as a result of this perimeter of our past limitations, I think we tend to stay stuck. That combined with the fact that we don't really like the unknown. We don't like stepping out into unknown territory. I'm kind of weird, I enjoy that. But studies have actually shown that kids who have a large boundary-free area to play in make use of less square footage of that area than kids who have visible boundaries in the same space. So, so kids, you know, if you send them out into an open field to play, they'll tend to play in a small, refined area. But if you build a nice, clear fence around the area that they're allowed to go to, they will play further and go out beyond their comfort zone. We don't really like the unknown. We like what's familiar, we like what's comfortable, and in fact, a lot of our growing up is about pushing boundaries just to find where the boundary is so we know how far we can go in a direction. So we stay stuck. Because we don't like the unknown, we don't want to cross the boundaries, we, we have a desire, I firmly believe, we really want to grow and change, but as we approach these familiar parameters of our lives, as we approach the vast unknown beyond the boundaries of the, of the familiar that paralyze us, and instead we turn to the right or left and make another lap around the ordinary. Sometimes we might glance out beyond the fence just to see what's out there, but we continue walking the fence line, going back to what we know. But what if, what if we didn't have to be victims of the boundary? What if we weren't restrained by these boundaries that we have constructed in our lives? What if, what if we weren't limited to, to an understanding of God that only exists on the boundaries that we know and are comfortable with. We have potential. I think you have ridiculous potential. I, I think for most of us, it tends to be untapped. I think, I think there, is, there is a mountain of potential. I don't say that to, to, to be any kind of slight, like, your life sucks right now. That's not what I mean. I just mean, I mean, I think so many of us just kind of skim the surface of the vast unknown that God has for us when what he really wants is a deep, deep experience with him. So how do we get beyond this boundary? How do we get beyond the boundary of the familiar and start to embrace the limitless nature that we have been given in Christ? Well, this is my dream for our church. Some key verses for you. We've got a slide that we can just throw up. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 24, verse 1 and 2. If you uh, want to turn over there, you can. We're going to be in Hebrews and 2 Corinthians 
for the most part of, of this in the Hebrews 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, especially 2 Corinthians chapter 3 will be a big focus for us this morning. So if you want to put your finger somewhere in your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and then listen to me as I just read these other scriptures and kind of set the context for where we're going. My dream for our church. I firmly believe that this is a dream that God has given me for this church. This is not something I've come to lightly. This is something that God has been developing and growing and building in me for years now. And I believe that this is, that this is a, a part of his design for not only why I'm here and why you're here, but also the work that God has done and the way that he created me and designed me as a person, as an individual, and the way that he has constructed and built and designed the people of this church to make up this church. I believe we were made for such a time as this, and this is the, the dream that God has for us. As his church. Exodus 24, verse 1 and 2. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the leaders of Israel, and worship from far away. But Moses alone may come near the Lord. The others should not come near and should not come up with him. Come up to the Lord, Moses, and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the leaders of Israel, and worship from far away. But Moses alone may come near the Lord. During the story of, of the Exodus, especially during the beginning of the Exodus, when Moses led them out, it was Moses who was in God's presence. It was Moses whom God spoke to. It was Moses whom God communicated to. It was Moses whom God spoke to through the burning bush and, and called him out of his hiding. And, and it was Moses whom God talked to and brought all the instructions to bring to Pharaoh. And it was God who spoke to Moses the directions that were to be given to the people of Israel. And it was God who spoke to Moses and told him how to lead the people out of slavery. Moses was the only one that got to talk to God on the mountain. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, there were only a chosen few whom God would speak to directly. There, you could probably count them all up if you chose to. You could read through the entire Old Testament narrative and count only maybe a dozen or more whom God spoke to directly. Only a few were allowed to go into God's presence. And as we'll discover in the book of Hebrews, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer sacrifices for all of the people. Everyone else, everyone else in all of Israel could only experience God vicariously through Moses or one of the prophets. They could observe him from a distance. Imagine being one of the Israelites and walking around in the desert and, and, and you had this, this cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You could literally see where God was, but you couldn't go to him. You, you could see God leading your people. You, you could see God, God leading your entire tribe and you could see where he was, but you couldn't get there. You weren't allowed 
to meet directly with God. It always happened through someone else. This was the entire known experience to God for the people of Israel all the way up until Christ came. And then through the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 23, this is one of the huge revelatory therefore statements that is in the book of Hebrews, one that has radically altered my way of thinking as a Christ follower. And I hope someday God will really open the eyes of everyone in our church to really see how awe-inspiring this is that's contained in these few verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and, and having our bodies washed with pure water. We've read it maybe so many times that we read over it and don't even pay attention to it, but therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. That is what we just celebrated through communion and we remember through the work that Jesus Christ did on that cross thousands of years ago, we now have the confidence to no longer watch and observe God as a cloud from a distance in fear and in horror, but we actually through Christ have the ability to now step through the curtain that is his flesh and step into the holy of holies. We can walk through the cross into the holiest place where God's presence dwells with confidence. Not, not fear and trembling. Not worry that if we step beyond the barrier, if we step past the perimeter into the vast unknown of going into God's presence, that we might just step on a landmine and it might all go wrong really quickly. But no, we don't, we're not stepping out in fear. We're stepping out, as he just said, in faith into God's presence. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 12 through 18. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. When Moses would go into God's presence and he would go in there and he would spend time with God, he would come out of God's presence and his face would be literally glowing and it freaked the people of Israel out and so they would put a veil over his face so he wouldn't scare everybody. So, so, so he's saying, look, when now what's going to happen? We are going to be like Moses except for when we go into God's presence, there's not going to be a veil. 
to verse 14, but their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Hebrews 10, like we just read. Only in Christ is the veil taken away. Only in Christ is it possible for us to enter into God's presence. Even to this day, to this very day, where we stand right now, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not fear, not terror, but when we step into God's presence, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. We read that last week. I so desperately want us to be continually transformed into the image of Christ. And that's one of my favorite verses, verse 18. But how does that happen? It does not happen through vicarious experiences. If we rely on Sunday's experience alone, we will not be transformed into Christ's likeness. We need to be going into God's presence for ourselves. But the veil has been taken away for those who are in Christ. There's nothing that separates us anymore. We have confidence to enter the most holy place. We are being transformed into Christ's image with ever-increasing glory. That's a description of us as Christ followers being transformed into Christ's image with ever-increasing glory. So let us draw near to God. I mean, let's just, let's draw Near. This is, this is my dream for our church, that we would be a church full of people who regularly and consistently go up the mountain ourselves to meet with God. That we would be a church full of people who regularly and consistently step in beyond the curtain into the Holy of Holies and meet with God for ourselves. This is the dream for our church. Not that, that you would follow me and my experience with God, not that you would be in awe of my relationship with God, but that you would be in awe of God. That, I think, is the dream God has given our church. But with that dream and the abundance of great, phenomenal, biblical, amazing, good teaching that exists, a lot of our experience with God is still vicarious. I say this every time, but please don't hear this as me condemning or tearing down any of the pastors and listening to them online. That is no way my intent. We should do that. Those are good things. It's good to listen to good biblical teaching. But it's not good to settle for that. It is not good to rely solely on that as my experience with God instead of myself 
living in the communion I was made for. It's not okay for me to only ever listen and read the content of someone else's experience with God and never have a personal experience with God. We were not made to only experience God vicariously from a distance as we observe the cloud or from a distance as the high priest goes in on our behalf. We were made to walk into that presence of God and dwell with him intimately and know him personally. And that's my dream for us as a church. Not that we would just gather here on a Sunday morning, which is what a lot of our effort has been over the years, is just to try to get people to show up at church once a week. But I'm not working hard on that anymore. What we're working hard on, what, what I feel like is the drink offering God has given me to pour myself out into this is to give you a taste of being in God's presence for yourself. And that when we gather here then together on a Sunday morning, what happens is that we've all been living in God's presence all week long. We've all been, we've all been behind the curtain, so to speak. We've all been sitting with Oz himself and watching him pull the levers and scare people. And we come in and we say, I was with God. And now I am bringing that presence with me. I I am not coming looking for an experience with God, which we hope does happen. We hope that everyone who gathers here on a Sunday morning feels the presence of God and that this would be a direct, tangible experience with God every single Sunday. That is the desire for this time, but that that is never going to be enough for what God designed us for. But can you imagine what it would look like if we just started living in God's presence all day, every day, walking humbly with God in such a way that when we gathered here together on a Sunday morning, this didn't feel like a special foreign experience, but it felt like the culmination of something we had been living all day, every day throughout the week. I can imagine it, I can see it, and it is invigorating. But I went to church for decades, and it rarely felt like God was present. I've been in many churches over the years where it just felt like we were going through the motions. Maybe he was present, he probably was. But I was unfamiliar with him. I was unfamiliar with what his presence felt like. So I didn't recognize it unless it was an extreme experience. Maybe for our church to experience God in greater capacity as we gather together, we all need to be experiencing God in greater capacity in our Monday through Saturday lives. And maybe for God to move mightily in our midst as a community as we gather together on Sunday, he first wants to move mightily in our hearts Monday through Saturday. 
And maybe the point of our gathering together isn't that we hope to have an encounter with God, but it's a gathering of people who have been encountering God all week and come to church prepared for God to overflow out of their hearts and lives. This moves me to the dream for the individuals in our church. John chapter 10, verse seven through 10. I love the book of John. If you were ever going to only just read one book of the Bible, I would always say John. Read John, keep reading John. When you read John, go back and read John another time. John 10, verse seven. Therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Does that sound familiar? All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Does that sound familiar? Whoever enters through me will be saved. Does that sound familiar? They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, I am not a translation expert. I do not know all the ins and outs of translating from Greek into English. But when I look up the word full in the, in the dictionary that tells me what the Greek word meant, this is what the word full means in Greek. Exceeding some number or measure or rank or need. Over and above. More than is necessary. Super added. Exceedingly abundantly. Supremely. Something further, something more, much more than all, much more than what we plainly experience. Superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon. Preeminence, superiority, advantage, more eminent, more remarkable, more excellent. And for the life of me, when the NIV translated this into full, I don't understand why they chose that word. And I looked up in the other translations, and I looked up in the New Living Translation. It's a little bit different than all of the others, but I looked up in the New American Standard. I looked up in the English Standard. I looked up in the King James. I looked up in the New King James, and, and I looked up in the New English Translation, the Net Bible, and all of them translated this word as abundant. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. one reason why we should pay special attention when we're reading scripture and, and do a little bit of digging and do our best to gain deeper understanding. So I think there would be a danger if we translated that verse and only ever thought of it as God giving us a full life. But as we read elsewhere in the Gospels from Jesus' very teaching, in fact, as we have studied for the last 14 weeks prior to this Sunday, we talked about that God actually wants us to live out of the overflow of our hearts, and that God wants to fill us to overflowing with himself, and out of that is the abundant life that he has for us. It's not just life filled to the brim, Exceeding. 
beyond, above, over. Jesus didn't just die to save your old life. I don't know if you know this, but I want to try to paint a picture for you, if you'll let me. We often get a picture of Jesus being a lifeguard on the side of a pool. And we're in the water and we don't know how to swim. And, you know, those lifeguards, they have those big red flotation things, right, that they can wrap around you or you can kind of hold on to if you're struggling. And you you got this picture of the lifeguard sitting up on the edge of the pool. And we're about to drown. We're about to go under. We're about to not make it. And then the lifeguard just kind of dives in at the last possible moment and pulls us up out of the water at just the right time before we die. And I think that's the picture we have of Jesus, that that we're about to die, and he saves us at the last possible moment. But the truth is, Jesus pulls us out of the water because we have already drowned. Jesus pulls us out of the water because we are dead. So what the Bible teaches, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. We, we were dead before Christ. So Jesus is not saving our old life. We are actually dead. That is not life. We think it's life, but we have actually taken water into our lungs and we're not able to breathe. And that's when Jesus pulls us out. He pulls us out and then he breathes new life into our lungs. Not our old life. That life is gone. It's dead. We're dead to that old life. Jesus breathes new life into our lungs. So Jesus didn't die to save our old life. He died to give us his new life. He he rescues us from our old life and gives us his new, abundant, completely full to overflowing life that we were made for. But I think so many of us kind of get stuck in that old life and we want God to redeem it. And God will use it. He definitely will redeem it. But that's not the life we were made for. So this is a phrase I'm working on that, that, that a part of what I'm hoping we can accomplish as a church is to make your new nature second nature. Making your new nature second nature. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So if you are in Christ, you have a new nature. You have a new Jesus suit. Any Iron Man fans? All right, so you've got this new, not, not like the Edgar suit from, uh, from Men in Black. That's not quite, that's the opposite direction. That's not exactly what I have in mind. But you know, Iron Man, so, so you get a new Jesus suit when you come into Christ, and, and you're already in it, and you're already wearing it. That doesn't mean we know how to use it. Right? We've got all these levers and, and pulleys and strings, and we have no idea what all of them do, even though we have the new creation. We have the new Jesus suit. So God has a desire for your life, 
and it's not just to survive this life. He has a desire for you to thrive in a new kind of abundant life. And I don't know that all of us really ever experience that life. And I think the reason is that we never really learn how to use the suit. We don't really learn how to wear Christ. Does Christ come into our lives and change us in a moment? Yes, definitely. In fact, it is always Christ who brings the transformation. You've heard me say this, without God we can't, but without us, God won't. We cannot do it on our own, but God will not impose his transformation on us without our participation. God will not impose his transformation on us without our participation in the process. Without God, we can't do it, but without us, God won't do it. God will not force the change on our lives. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And we love that part, and we should love that part. It's a great part. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is as light. A yoke is only used to partner two things together as a team. So when Jesus says to take my yoke upon you, he's not talking about a harness, a one-man horse harness. He's talking about a yoke that's designed for two things, two creatures, two people. So he is going to be on one side and you are going to be on the other. Without God, we can't do it, but without us, he won't. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. God has a desire for our life, but he won't force it on us. We have to work in cooperation with him to experience it. We have to learn to make our new nature second nature. Right now, as we exist... Unless we have gone through a lot of work and a lot of transformation over the years, for a lot of us, our old nature is still second nature. We live out of our old nature without ever thinking about it. We, we don't think about the way that we live. We don't think about the habits that exist in our life. We don't think about the things we do day in and day out that are keeping us from Christ, not transforming us into the image of Christ. We don't think about it because it's second nature. We live out of our old nature. And until we go through the process of embracing our new nature, we'll continually be restrained to the old. It doesn't feel natural to do things that you're not used to doing. It doesn't matter what it is in life. And as I shared a little bit a couple weeks ago on Workplace, your brain will fight you to keep you from making these changes because your brain is just wired to make you run efficiently, whether it's good for you or bad. It never feels natural to make changes and do things differently than we're used to doing them. It will never feel natural for us to make space for God to transform our lives and give us a new nature at first. It will never feel natural at first, but eventually, eventually they do become second nature. 
Over the last 90-day journey, um, I had been doing a reading plan, and I would always I just kind of made it a habit over the previous year or so to, on, in the morning before I do anything, instead of grabbing my phone and flipping through social media, I grabbed my phone and I started reading the Bible, and I'd read it in, the, in my bed before I got up, make sure I just read that chapter, the chapter of the day, before we went anywhere uh, that day, before I put my feet on the ground, I wanted my, wanted my heart in God's word. And so I did that for a long time. And then over the last 90 days, I wanted to try something different because Russ was sharing with me how he would take the Bible reading and, and he would, he would get, then get his physical Bible and read it in his Bible. And then you can underline things and you can make notes and you can read some of the commentary and all of that stuff. I thought, that sounds like a really great idea. I want to do that. I'm go- I really want to get more out of that than what I'm just kind of reading out of just the Bible itself. And so, so for the first half of the 90 day journey, that's what I did. And then as we got through it, my brain started fighting me and wanting me to go back to the old way, which was to grab my phone and grab my phone and read it first thing in the morning. So I would get up and I would resist that initial urge to read the Bible and then I would go out and I'd do my morning stuff and then I would forget to read my Bible. And so finally I got to the point where, you know what? This is kind of ridiculous because I just want to read my Bible. And so I'm going to go back to the old habit of reading my Bible. That way I'm reading my Bible first thing in the morning before anything else has happened. That habit of grabbing my phone and reading the Bible was never a habit for me until it became a habit. And then once it became a habit in my life, it actually became so second nature that when I tried to change that habit of reading the Bible, my brain said, no, go back to the other way and read the Bible how you're used to reading the Bible. Following Christ, doing the things that make space for God to transform our hearts and our day in and day out life never feel natural at first, but eventually they do become second nature. Think of a couple who's been married for 50 years. They tend to know what the other wants in most situations. They usually know what the other is thinking in almost all circumstances. They can finish each other's sandwiches, right, yeah. No, sorry, that was frozen. But they didn't start out like that. They've been married for 50 years. It didn't start out that way. Now it is that way after 50 years of being in relationship with one another, but it didn't begin that way. This developed over time. It took a long time for their individual ways of thinking to go away and now adopt the corporate way of living in relationship with someone all day, every day. It didn't start as second nature, but now their old individual way of thinking would seem foreign to them, so much so that when one person dies before the other, the one that is left flounders because that's their nature. This is my dream for the individual lives of the people of 6-8 Church, that our new nature becomes so second nature that the old nature feels foreign to us.
what if we all just experienced God flowing abundantly in and through our lives on a day-in, day-out basis? Can you imagine that kind of existence where all day, every day, you were walking humbly with God? I don't know what you would give to get there, but I would give quite a lot for us to get there. But unfortunately, I can't do it for you. This is something we have to do daily and personally. Anyone who would come after me must deny themselves. Can't deny someone else for them. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. As we start to close, I'm going to leave out a section here. I want to be sensitive to what God is doing in this moment. John chapter 15, verse 9 through 17. As you're turning, I want to pray. God, I pray you help us hear this how you want us to hear it. God, I pray that your words would speak directly to our hearts, cut through all the noise, cut through all the chaos, cut through anything that would keep us from hearing directly from you in these moments. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, Jesus is speaking to the disciples the night before he's going to be crucified, and he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain or abide or dwell in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So the reason he's telling us this is for what? Joy. The reason he's teaching this to the disciples is for joy. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, lacking nothing. In other words, peace, shalom. That we would be people whose joy in Christ is complete. And the reason he's telling us this is for joy. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you for why? This is the why. This is the why that Jesus is appointing us to be his disciples, that we might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Dallas Willard is one of my, uh, one of my guys that I'm struggling to read. He writes really complex 
thinking kind of stuff that my mind takes a while to process, and I unfortunately am just not smart enough yet to cruise through that kind of material. He is a, you know, he's a theologian. He's you know, obviously taught in seminaries. He's from a charismatic background, so uh, if you go doing some reading on that, uh, know that in advance, and so I think this is really uh, important what he says. Uh, it's definitely an area that we want to grow into as a church, embracing what God wants for us and this power of the Spirit moving in our gatherings. He says this, Dallas Willard, Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. And I think he would go on to say grace has to do with every aspect of following Jesus Christ. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Part of the struggle we face when we read scriptures like John 15, verse 9 through 17, is the contrast between grace and commands. We, we love the love and we love the grace, but then there's this command thing that we kind of get hung up on, and I understand it. Anyone love thunderstorms? Anyone get woke up on Friday for the thunderstorm? Yeah. So uh, about five, a little bit before five o'clock, we, we started hearing this kind of rumble and Becky and I thought the boys were upstairs because we were leaving to go do something exciting that day and we thought the boys were upstairs goofing around, they couldn't sleep and so we heard this rumble and we were about to go upstairs to yell at the boys, I mean, correct the boys gently because that's what a parent does. Parents never yell at their children and we would never yell at our kids, but we were going up to gently and lovingly correct our kids and say, go to sleep. And then we heard another rumble, and I got up to use the bathroom, and then you see a flash. I mean, when the storm is really far away, sometimes you only hear the thunder. But if you're outside in the dark and the storm is really far away, sometimes you only hear the lightning. On August 9th, God gave me the gift of a thunderstorm the night before my birthday when I turned 40th, which tells me that there's a lot to come because this birthday came in with, with roaring thunder. And so I know, I know that there's a lot that God has in store for the 40th year and the, and the fourth decade of my life, but it just kind of came in with this thunderstorm. And as we watched this thunderstorm, we could see through our living room window the lightning but we didn't hear the thunder. We could see the flashes, but we never heard a sound. And then eventually, you could hear it, and you'd hear the low frequencies. Hear the crack, right? That's what you would hear the first because the high frequencies travel faster. Hear the crack, and, and then it just kind of goes, and then this low frequency would just rumble through all the valleys for like 30 seconds, just, When we were driving on our road trip back to see my parents, we encountered a Texas thunderstorm. And our kids had never really experienced a thunderstorm like that. And if you haven't really experienced a Texas thunderstorm or Midwest thunderstorm, they are a little bit more intense and they can be overwhelming. They can be overpowering, but our kids were able to kind of make light of it a little bit by saying that Thor 
was mad. Thor's angry. Wow, Thor's really upset tonight. I mean, he was upset for like 12 hours. It was a big lung. Like he just had a temper tantrum that would not go away. And that was, you know, they just kind of dealt with it that way by saying that Thor is angry. And of course, if you know anything about Thor, you know that only people who are worthy can pick up the hammer, right? And so, so he's got this hammer and this hammer, you know, he can just fly up into the air and come crashing down and boom, just shake everything and, and everything explodes and flashes of lightning and crashes of thunder. And if you did not know Thor, it would terrify the snot out of you. Wouldn't it? I mean, if you're just like, if you're standing on the outside watching one of these big wars with Thor and you don't know who this Thor guy is and you see this guy fly up into the sky and come crashing down and drive his hammer into the ground and the whole earth shakes and everything roars with thunder and lightning peals across the sky, I think you would probably run the other way in terror. And so to help our kids, because about 5.30 or so, one of our kids ended up in our bed terrified about the, thor about the storm, we've tried to say, it's just, just, Thor's just mad. We don't really believe in Thor, just so you know. We're not like some kind of weird, Thor's, Thor's angry, you know, just try to laugh it off. But my wife said she could feel, I won't out this kid, but feel their body trembling every time and it was getting close and you get that you get it you know where there's like a flash of lightning and a second later boom just like it blew up in your house and it's terrifying if all we ever know of God and his power is what we can observe from the outside. It will always overwhelm and overpower us. Imagine with me now this hurricane that has been in the news, Hurricane Dorian is headed towards the Florida coast and they're saying it looks like it's gonna turn and head north and it's gonna go up to the Carolinas. But as it goes along the coast, the, the eye of the storm is gonna come within like 50, 100 miles of the Florida coast and it's gonna cruise right up the eastern edge of Florida. And as you watch the projections in the radar, you can see that it looks like that eastern coast of Florida is just going to get pounded and pounded and pounded with the storm as it goes north and then it makes landfall. And if we only ever know God and his power from what he has commanded us because he is God, it's like, it's like sitting on the shore and watching the storm approach. And it's sitting there shaking in terror and fear because you know this thing is coming and there's nothing you can do about it because he's God. And we can think about God and his approach towards us in that very same way. His commands, his demands of us are just, he's just doing it. I'm God, that's what I said to do. 
I expect you to behave. But it's almost as if this boundary keeps us from ever really knowing him. It's like we only ever know him from outside and observe the power and never experience the peace that comes in the eye of the storm. We know from a distance. We know from the outside, from observation. We, we know through others and we know that there's a boundary and there's a limit that seems to keep us out. We only know the overwhelmingness of God. We only ever know the flashes and the lightning and the crashes of the thunder. We're hopeless on the outside. We, we never get close enough to God to know him. It's almost as if we can only ever know him from a distance. And the truth is, that is the only way to know God. By our own strength. In our own strength, we will only ever know God from a distance, from the outside, observing his power and watching as he displays his might. But through Christ, through the power of Christ on the cross, God draws us in through the power of the storm, through the might, through the fear, through the terror, and now he seats us at the right, or he seats us next to Christ, seats us with Christ in the heavenly realms. In other words, he brings us out to bring us in. And now we're in the eye of the storm, sitting in the presence of God, watching his power from an entirely different perspective. No longer are we watching in fear at what this storm might do to us. Now we're watching next to the one who is the storm, and that changes everything. See, it's, it's the grace that pulls us in through the storm and through the power and through the rage and through the fury, and it's grace that seats us in the center where God is seated. And at the center of the storm, everything else starts to make sense. When you're living in grace and you're walking humbly with God and God then says, this is my command, you realize this isn't only a demand from the mighty, powerful Thor and his deity and he's going to enforce his will on you. Instead, what you see is being in the central peace of God. This is his invitation into his likeness. This is the invitation into what you were made for. The invitation into what you were designed for. Come in. From time to time we'll drift away from the center of the storm back towards the edge, towards the fury. And God will say, hey, you're getting kind of close to the storm. 
come back here. I don't intend that for you. That's not, that's not what I have in mind. Stop living in that way. Live my way. What if you could live in the perfect peace that comes in the eye of the storm? What if you could stay in perfect peace, the peace that only comes from knowing God, surrounded by the power and might of God all around you at all times, and experiencing at the same time his perfect peace that comes from having your mind completely steadfast and focused and dwelling, abiding on him. If you could have that peace as you went through life, what would you do to get it? I would do an awful lot to get it for you. I want more of it myself. The incredible thing about it is Thor is not all that far off. There's nothing we can do in our own strength to make ourselves worthy to pick up that hammer, but Christ and what he did for us when we walk through the cross into the newness of life makes us worthy then we know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was just status quo for our church? Wouldn't that be awesome if that's just how we live day in, day out, and that if the normal experience for us on Sundays, which is about to change, by the way, we're gonna change our format here in a couple of weeks and, and make more room for God to move in our midst, wouldn't it be cool if we just had this growing expectation that because we're dwelling regularly in God's presence on a day in, day out basis, we have the full expectation he is going to show up mightily in our midst because that is who he is. He is mighty and powerful. The earth shakes. He is full of glory because that is his nature. That is who he is. And he wants us to dwell in the central, peaceful core of who he is and experience his power from the inside out. Let's stand together. I don't know if this really resonated. I know it took longer than I anticipated. Thank you for your patience. Over the course of this next week, I'm gonna ask if you will to just pray let God speak to you. Maybe bow your head right now in this moment. And my only request for this week is to ask God to show you what his dream is for your life. Maybe as we've been together this morning, God has revealed something to you that he wants you to focus on. But over the course of these next seven days until we gather together on September 8th at this time and place and God allows, brings us back together. We spend some time every day just praying and asking God, what do you want me to focus on? What is your dream for my life for the next 90 days? What do you want most for me over this season? This is not to put any pressure on you. If you don't feel like you're ready for some kind of step or to move forward, there's no pressure at all to step into something you're not ready for. 
But if you feel over the course of this week, as, you, as you've prayed about it, as you've sought God on it, that God wants you to step forward in some way, and we're ready to walk with you in that pursuit. We want to do everything we can to help you make your new nature second nature and learn to embrace and walk in Christ-likeness. So can you do that just maybe one day this week? If you're not used to spending time with God every day, just find some day, any day this week, and just take a few minutes and pray and ask God, what's your dream for my life for the next 90 days? What do you want me to focus on? Maybe he's already brought that to mind. Maybe he's already shown you. And your next step will be to share it with somebody. But let's let him guide us. Let's let him lead us where he wants us to go. Let's let him invite us in through Jesus Christ, the gate, so that we may go out and find the pasture that we were made for. And let us not allow the enemy to steal anything God wants to give us to kill any of the life that God is raising up in us or destroy the hope that God has aroused in his church. Father, thank you for the work you are doing in my heart and my life. Thank you for the gift of knowing you that you've given to me. I thank you for the people in my life that you have placed around me to help lead me into knowing you more in a more personal way. Thank you for the grace that you've given me all along the way that all the times I didn't measure up, you still called me back into your peace. And I thank you, Father, for the work you have done. I thank you for the work you are doing in my life, the work that you are going to continue to do in me moving forward, that this is even just a new beginning from this day on. I pray, Father, for everyone gathered this morning that you would stir in our hearts deeply. Stir down to the deepest part of our heart that we're holding back and holding away from you, that thing that we just refuse to let go of. And I pray, Father, that you would just start to tickle that spot, that you would just start to draw attention over the course of the next week to that area in our lives that we've been holding on and refusing to let go of and that you would just start to draw your finger, your, your finger that, that, that pointed to where the stars would land in the sky and your finger that, that spun the dust to create Adam and your finger that created us in our mother's womb, that you would just take that finger that knows what is absolutely best for us and just start to draw a circle around that thing. Just draw a circle around that thing you want us to deal with and how you want us to embrace your new life. And Father, I pray for every single one of us in this room that this moment you would start to move us from outside the storm into the center where you are. We might experience the perfect peace that comes from being in you. We thank you, we praise you, give you all the glory. In Jesus' name.